Happy Sunday, happy Sunday. Glad to be with you all. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. We just celebrated one year as a church last Sunday. How fun was that? Yes, it was really good. And uh, just to set the record straight, I think I won Nick on that bounce house race. I watched the video, and I, I think it's like a hair. Okay, fine. Awesome. Well, we get to do something today that I think is pretty fun. We get to start something new. And I enjoy new things. You know, this last year when I moved to Palos Verdes, I got to experience a lot of new things in my life. You know, a new place to live, uh, new places to eat. And look, there are some places that are better to eat than others. I was just in Santa Barbara this weekend. And I'm telling you, the Mexican food there, you can't beat it. I'm just saying. I'm just being honest with you. But here's my request is, if you know of the best Mexican food in this region, help a brother out, okay? Okay, you got me? Okay, sounds good, sounds good. But we love new places, we love, you know, a lot of new things. We have a new church here, and that's wonderful. I got a new car last year, that was fun. Um, I think we're all drawn to things that are new, and maybe that's the case for some more than others. Maybe you're the type of person that actually likes things that are old. You like the nostalgia of things. Or maybe you just don't like a lot of change in your life. You know, you've been eating the red onion for 40 years and you're cool with it. Um, <laughs> no dissing on the red onion, I love it, it's good. But uh, today we get to start something new. Today we're going to start a new book of the Bible, and that is 1 John. So open up your Bibles as we have a look at the opening words of this amazing letter that the Apostle John wrote. And my hope and desire for this study together is that we would experience new things. Um, in fact, I actually see a newly engaged couple right over there, Mark and Stephanie, two of our young adults, just got engaged on Thursday. That's new. And uh, just really fun, the seasons that God will bring us into, we're always looking for him to bring us into things that are fresh, things that are good. And so uh, as we start this book, I'm not going to hide something from you. What we're going to do as we cover 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John over the course of 14 weeks is that we are going to give very clear and very direct invitations for people to receive Jesus Christ. Because when a person puts faith in Jesus, that person is saved by God, and that person begins a new relationship with God. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ, the Son. And how does that happen? Well, that happens when you bring the real you to the real Jesus, and you ask him to save you. You say, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And when you do that, Real change happens as you come into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're looking for change. Maybe you're looking for something new in your life. You're saying, man, I'm kind of done with the old. I'm kind of done with the season of life that I've been trying to live. I want something in my life that is going to refresh me and renew me. I am tired of the way that life is going, and I'm very interested, in fact, in what Jesus can bring into my life. Well, listen, there is nothing better than having a relationship with God through Christ. And today, as I said, you're going to have an opportunity 
to make Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your best friend, that you would come into a relationship with him today. So if that's you, if you would like to have that, you can prepare your heart even now to receive Jesus today. Because let me tell you, new houses, new restaurants, new cars, new friends, new marriages, new jobs, new hobbies, new resolutions, new mantras, none of those things can satisfy you. They might for a time, you know, for a little bit of a season, they might be working. In fact, they might even be working for you right now, but that's only for a season. That's only for this life. That is for this side of eternity, but there is an eternity after death. And can I tell you that nothing compares to having a real relationship with Jesus Christ and what he offers you because Jesus is the only one who can say, behold, I make all things new. Only Jesus can say that and actually fulfill it. And so prepare your hearts to receive that. And, and if that's you, if that's you because you don't have a relationship with God in Christ yet, would you receive him today? But perhaps you know Jesus. In fact, even as I look across this room, I know that many of you know Jesus. You, you have a relationship with him. But can I speak to you for a moment? Is that would you please because I've prepared myself for this, would you please not put it out of your heart and your mind that as we go through the book of 1 John, you would come to some new appreciation, some new understanding of the attributes of God, that, yeah, you know God, you have a relationship, you've maybe known him for many years, as long as you've been eating the red onion, you've known Jesus. <laughs> but might there be a possibility that you've picked up something along the way about perhaps the nature, the character of God that's just a little bit off. I know that at times in my life, I've certainly done that. I've picked up something a little bit off, and this is affecting the way that you live your life with God. And is it possible that by studying the book of 1 John that you would also come to a renewed understanding of the incredible love that Jesus has for you and, and that he would help you to live life with the fullness of joy that Jesus promises to give. And so, as we enter this new book, perhaps you've never studied 1 John in your life and you're in for a wonderful journey, or perhaps you've studied 1 John more times than you can count. Either way, would we all together come with fresh eyes and fresh faith to see what God offers us in Jesus? And to do that, we're going to look at some old writings. Because listen, I have nothing new to give to you. But I get to teach you the living word of God that transformed my life and can transform your life and has transformed lives throughout the centuries. And so this letter of 1 John was written nearly 2,000 years ago at the end of the first century by John the Apostle. And this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to cover all three of those books in 14 weeks. And then he also wrote the book of Revelation near the end of his life as he was in exile on the island of Patmos for being persecuted for his faith. And John was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus who was called to be an apostle. 
meaning that John had walked with Jesus for those three years as Jesus walked the earth, and he was discipled by Jesus. And then, after seeing Jesus alive, after he rose from the dead, Jesus commissioned John with the message of the gospel, that John would be used by the Holy Spirit to establish the church, to lay a foundation of doctrine and teachings for the new people known as Christians. And John had that very special role. Now, I think it would be a little bit helpful as we enter into this book to know a little bit about the author, get some background on the Apostle John, because knowing the author as we study these words, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, these are God's words that are spoken through the personality of John, but John was a man who was originally from the region of Galilee. And he was a brother to a man named James, and together they were of the 12 disciples of Jesus. They were called by Jesus to leave their family business of fishing. They worked with their father, Zebedee, and they were told to come and follow Jesus, and he would teach them to become fishers of men. But we get the sense, as we see these two brothers, James and John, starting out their journey with Jesus is that they were pretty rough around the edges, you know. On one occasion, when they were traveling with Jesus into a certain village, they were met by some opposition. The people in this village didn't want Jesus or the apostles to come and to stay and to preach the kingdom in that place. And so we see in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, that James and John come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and destroy the people of this village? Come on, Jesus, let us do it. Just speak the word and we'll let them burn. <laughs> and Jesus rebuked them clearly because that's not his heart. And instead, they went on to the next village and preached the kingdom there. And it's because these guys had this hot temper in them that they easily resorted to anger and fighting. And, and Jesus knew this about James and John. He, he knew where they were. He knew what they struggled with. And can I just say, because I know personally Jesus knows where you're at. He knows that anger. He knows the boiling up of wrath. And every moment that happens, he sees it and he knows it. And with James and John, he gave them a nickname because of this. He called them Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. It's probably because of these hot tempers, these outbursts of anger, that Jesus called them this. However, in time, John seemed to outgrow that nickname of son of thunder. That was the old John, because by the time Jesus got a hold of John's heart, we see that John had another nickname. We see all throughout the writings of the gospel that John is referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. That's a significant change, isn't it? To go from son of thunder to the one whom Jesus loved, or as many call him, the apostle of love. We see John in the Last Supper, he's seen at that time laying on the chest of Jesus, and this shows the closeness of relationship that, that John had with his friend. And after that, John was the only disciple who showed up 
when Jesus was crucified. There were plenty of women who showed up. You know, the women always seem to show up. The women showed up, but John was the only one of the 12, and there at the cross, John was commissioned by Jesus to take care of our Lord's mother. He said to Mary, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. John was loyal to Jesus all the way to the end. He even vowed to take care of the family of Jesus after Christ ascended back to heaven because John had become family with Jesus. And this is what I mean when I say Jesus makes all things new. This is what we see time and time again as Jesus, the lover of souls, takes a person who the world has rejected or deemed as angry or bitter or broken, and Jesus turns them into a loyal and loving new creation. That's the work of Jesus time and time again, and that's what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants to transform our lives by his love. He wants us to look more like Jesus, that we would be transformed into the image of his character day by day from glory to glory. And so are you, as a disciple of Jesus, allowing Jesus to do that kind of work in your life? Are you surrendered to the love of God? Would you like to see this kind of change happen in your life? Maybe you resonate with James and John, that anger that you can't seem to get control of, and you would say, Jesus, I need you to come in and take control and make me someone who loves, someone who is loyal and gentle and kind, because Jesus, I know that's who you are, and I want to be like you, Jesus. Simply asking the Lord by his grace to do that in your life, he will come and do that. So even now, prepare your heart for Jesus to do that. And so with all that background, with all the hopes and desires that we would have as we enter into 1 John, let's look at the opening verses, the first four verses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that your joy or our joy may be complete. Aren't those some of the most beautiful words you've ever read? Let's start there at the beginning in verse one that says, that which was from the beginning. John likes to start his writings off this way. The gospel of John opens similarly in John chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And anyone who has some familiar with the familiarity with the Bible knows that the whole book the Bible, starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what's John doing when he 
references the beginning. Well, clearly, he's referencing a point in time. We measure everything by time. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. But we measure everything by time. I always got this watch on my hand. I'm always, I'm looking at the time right now, and you're wondering, when is this guy going to wrap this message up, you know? We're always measuring things by time. Yet this reference of the beginning, I don't think is a reference to time as we know it. There's no date that you can put on this beginning that John is speaking of. Some commentators, you know, differ on where to place this beginning, uh, but I don't think John is referring to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. I don't think he's referring to the beginning of time when Jesus was born of a virgin or when God made a covenant with Israel or even the beginning of creation with the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. Those are all beginnings. Those are all time stamps and periods of time when God did unique works of redemption in human history, and it's important that we see those marks of beginnings. However, what I think John is saying when he speaks of the beginning is he's really referring to a time before time ever began as we know it. Before anything was created, before the clock started ticking, as it were, he is that which is from the beginning. So listen closely. What we have to understand coming into these opening words of First John is that we are going to encounter the eternal God who has always existed. We are going to see the one who was and is and is to come. And there is a divine being and his name is God and he always has been. And we can spend the rest of our morning speaking about the eternal nature of God. We can think about how he is the creator and the sustainer of time and all that we experience in time. But the distilled truth that John is opening in the first few words is this. Jesus is that which is from the beginning. Jesus has always existed because he is God. Now John is going to take us from this high view of the eternal God who existed from the beginning. And he is going to bring us into real time, and into real space, and show us how this eternal God who has always existed is knowable and relational in the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 1 again. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Do you see what John is doing here? In one sentence, he is speaking about the profound reality that Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, who is called the word of life, he is that which is from the beginning. He is eternal God. And God became a man. And he was heard and seen and touched in this world, 
And John was one of those people who with his physical faculties was able to hear and to see and to touch God in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. You can sit on that truth for a while, right? This profound and immense truth changed everything in history. It changed my life. If you understand who Jesus is, I'm sure it has changed your life. This real Jesus who is revealed in this book is fully God and fully man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. But to put it in simpler terms, we often say that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and he is worthy of all of our worship. We are talking about the God-man Jesus. That is what this book is about. And perhaps you already know this weighty reality that Jesus is God. By faith, you understand his true identity, that as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he is the eternal one who was made flesh. But maybe today, you are going to discover for the first time who Jesus really is. You haven't yet come to this place where you understand or believe that Jesus is God and man. You'll spend your whole life trying to understand it, but to know it experientially know it. And that is what John is talking about. He's saying, I know Jesus and he knows me. Jesus is who we're talking about. This is the one John's writing about. He's writing so that more people can come to know Jesus. He's writing so that if you already know Jesus, you would continue to walk with him and know him as both God and man. He's writing so that we would come to this place so that our joy would be complete in him. So why is this important? Why does John begin by telling us this about Jesus? Well, because for many people, Jesus, or I should say, God becoming a human being seems ridiculous. You know, for the Jews, they believed, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How in the world does Jesus, this man who walked the earth, how can he be God if God is one? One person, or one God, three persons, you know, Trinity, this thing. That, that's How? But that's a stumbling block for many. What, what about the Gentiles? Well, most of them, it was no big, no big deal to have another God. You know, go ahead, add Jesus to the pantheon. We've got plenty of gods. Just throw them in. It's fine. But Jesus is the one true God. But can I tell you another reason I think John starts out this way, and perhaps why I even think John wrote the letter of 1 John? It was, he was writing at the end of the first century, Gnosticism was this belief that started to rise up within the church. And Gnosticism um, is this belief that this, this heresy that began really in the second century and, and comes in and out of fashion all the time, by the way. Um, but here are some fundamental truths or ideas about Gnosticism. The first one is physical matter is evil. First, first point, physical matter is evil. Second, spiritual knowledge is good. 
So Gnosticism, what it does is it tries to get us to escape our physical bodies and this physical world through higher levels of secret gnosis or knowledge. And unfortunately, this belief can easily blend into Christian thinking. You ever heard that? Thinking of physical matter is evil and we have to escape it. And we're going to escape it through this spiritual knowledge, this higher level of thinking that is good. And when Gnosticism began to take root in the church, people were trying to understand how is it that if Jesus is God, how could he become flesh if physical matter is evil? And people began to reject the incarnation of Jesus, that God became a man. But to reject the incarnation of Jesus, you would have to reject the atonement. And by rejecting the atonement of sin by Jesus' blood on the cross, you are still in your sins. And if you are still in your sins, then you have no fellowship with God. And that's a problem. So, this difficulty that the Gnostics saw was that if this created world, which includes our physical bodies and, and If these physical bodies are bad, how could a good and spiritual God take on flesh? Wouldn't that be a corruption of God's good spiritual nature? So do you want to know what the Gnostics did in order to solve this issue? Is they came up with this doctrine, this idea known as docetism. And docetism, which comes from the Greek word, the root meaning to seem, is that they taught that Jesus was some kind of spiritual phantom, that he didn't really have a physical body, but that he only seemed to have a physical body. And that when Jesus went to the cross, it only seemed like he died. It only seemed as though he had flesh. He appeared like he was a man, but he really wasn't. He remained fully God and didn't become fully mortal. And John comes right out the gate saying, that which is from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is my favorite part. You know, John is saying, I heard Jesus speak from his mouth. From the time when he called me out by name, from the Sermon on the Mount to the Olivet Discourse, I heard Jesus. I heard Jesus rebuke me. I heard Jesus forgive me. I heard Jesus commission me, and I heard Jesus make promises to me. I heard him with my own ears as he lived here among us as a real human being. John is saying, I saw him with my eyes. I saw him perform countless miracles. I saw water turn to wine and leprosy completely gone. I saw how he cared for those who were in need and with bold confidence how he stood up in the face of religious and civil rejection. I saw how Jesus was determined to go to the cross. I watched as he agonized in the garden. I saw him go up that hill and I saw the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. I could hardly recognize my Lord as he was covered in real blood. But best of all, I saw him alive by many undeniable proofs. I watched him eat fish on a beach after he'd risen from the dead. 
I saw him ascend to heaven until I could see him no longer, and I miss seeing Jesus, but I know he is with me. In fact, he is in me. John is saying, I didn't just see and hear him, I looked upon him. And that word there for looked upon can be translated to gaze, to examine deeply. John really wanted to know if this whole Christianity thing was real or was it a hoax. And and so John gazed to see if those miracles really did happen. He gazed and examined the lives of those around him that were transformed both physically and spiritually. He gazed at the piercings on the cross. John wrestled in his heart and mind, how is it that this man that I love is hanging on a cross? And he gazed and contemplated this, but then when he saw him alive, you better believe he examined Jesus alive. Is this flesh or is this phantom? Was this the same Jesus that I walked with for three years or is this something else? Because I saw him lay down his life for me on the cross and if he rose from the dead, this changes everything so he better be real. This can't be a phantom. This can't seem right. This has to be right and true. And John is saying, yes, I looked upon him. John is saying, I touched him with my hands concerning the word of life. For for many of us, we will believe something if we can touch something. But you know, you don't have to touch something to know that it's real. And I know that as physical beings, we like to comprehend things through physical experience. But look, it's not required to touch or to physically experience something to know that it is true. You know, I've, I've never seen or touched a great white shark. But as I'm in the ocean, I know that they're out there. <laughs> I don't need to see one. I don't want to see one. And I definitely don't want to touch one but I know that they're out there. And in the same way, you can know Jesus. But John got that special blessing, that special privilege to have have been able to actually touch Jesus. And, And anyone trying to say to John that Jesus only seemed to be real, John would be able to say to them, are you kidding me? No way, Jesus is real. He is real flesh. He is real blood, real life. Man, imagine John, the the one whom Jesus loved, who got to lay on Jesus' chest. Think about laying on somebody's chest. John's like, no, I felt the warmth of his body. I heard his heartbeat. My head moved with the rise and the fall of his chest. Breath was coming out of his lungs. Jesus is real. You cannot shake somebody's experience who has known Jesus in that way. And so John is writing to testify to us. He's saying, I love Jesus and he loves me. And I have eyewitness testimony that you can love him and he can love you. And you can have a relationship with him just like I have. John could say to any Jew, Gentile, Gnostic, agnostic, whatever, ostic, Jesus is real, physical, flesh, and he is God. 
to hear something and to see something to the point of gazing upon, especially to handle something, is to know something is real and true. John heard Jesus, he saw Jesus, he gazed upon Jesus, and he handled Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is real and true. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great for John, but I've never heard, seen, or handled Jesus. Great for John, but how can I know whether Jesus is real, much less whether he's God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's read verses two and three. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. Notice there at the end of verse one and the beginning of verse two that Jesus is identified as life. He's called the word of life, the life, and eternal life. Life isn't just something that Jesus has or gives. Life is something Jesus is. It's his actual nature. God is love. That is his very nature. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. It is his nature, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I can imagine that when John was writing these opening lines of 1 John, he might have been thinking about how Jesus was made manifest and thinking about that moment that he recorded in John chapter 14. Because there's this amazing interaction that followed those words after John 14, 6. Right after Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip comes to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. In John 14, 8 through 10, he said that and, and John's saying, let us clearly see the Father. Make the Father visible to us. Manifest the Father and we'll be stoked. We'll be so good if you can do that. And, and this is what he said. Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? See, Jesus manifested God to us. He manifested the way. The way to God is clearly seen in Jesus. He manifested the truth. The truth of God is clearly seen in Jesus. He manifested the life. The life of God is clearly seen in Jesus. And all of this was manifesting the Father because the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son. And you can be in Jesus and have fellowship with God. Jesus is, as Colossians says, the clear visible image of the invisible God. The best way I know how to make this as simple as I possibly can for you is to say this. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Good. If you want to know who God is and what he is like, look at Jesus. Jesus perfectly manifested God to us. He existed with the Father and the Spirit before time began, and Jesus entered into time, and as a human being, he showed us what a real and loving relationship with God could look like. He showed us the Father, and he showed us what it looks like 
to die to self and to be raised to new life. Jesus did everything necessary to remove all the obstacles for you to come into a real and loving relationship with God. He made the way possible. And John was an eyewitness to the glorious manifestation of the Son of God, and he would be able to say to anyone, there is eternal life in Jesus. You can have it because I have it. So is that good enough for you? Are you ready to say, yes, I want to believe in Jesus? Is it good enough to believe the eyewitness testimony? It's good enough for me. Maybe you're still thinking, though, but I want to see him. I want to hear him. I want to touch him. You can. Really, you can. Because I have. Many people here have. I have heard Jesus by faith. I have seen Jesus by faith. By faith, I have gazed upon Jesus and I have examined him deeply. By faith, I have handled Jesus. And Hebrews 1.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I have not seen, heard, or touched Jesus physically. I will one day. But with all the evidence of his real existence in the Bible, I can have certain hope of what I believe in. I can have a confidence and conviction of what I do not see physically. I can perceive Jesus by faith, and for me, that's enough. For me, I can't shake it. Jesus knows me, and I know Jesus. I can't shake that. Anybody else here? Amen? So as we end here, we're going to have the worship team come on up. And as we close, I have read every word that the Apostle John has written about Jesus in the Bible. And I've come to this place where, as John says in verse 3, I am proclaiming all of this to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, everybody just, who just shouted, Amen, are people who have responded to the call of Jesus that says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up your cross, and follow me. To follow Jesus means to be his disciple. To be his disciple means he knows you and you know him. And it's a loving relationship. And by being in a loving relationship with Jesus, he makes you a new creation and he puts you in a new family. Therefore, you have fellowship with fellow believers. That's why we're in church today. Because all these people here have come and said, I have called upon the name of Jesus to save me. And I have fellowship with John and James and Jude, and women like Salome and Mary, and Mary and all the other Marys in the Bible. And, and we are connected through 2,000 years of church history of people who have loved and served Jesus. So as we end, you can know Jesus like John knows Jesus. 
you can know Jesus like I know Jesus. In fact, if you know Jesus in this kind of way, would you raise your hand? Amen. Look around. Keep your hand up. All these people around here know Jesus, and Jesus knows them. And you know, I didn't grow up in the church, but when I came into a church, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, when I was 17 years old, and the pastor was talking about raising your hand if you want to know Jesus. Something was happening in me because I was being drawn to Jesus. And it took a time. For me, it was about the process of about a month of hearing these gospel messages. But there came a point when I said, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is fully God, and I believe he is fully man. And I want to have a relationship with him. And, And that brought a lot of change in my life. In fact, I was rejected by one of my closest friends for making that decision. But about five years later, I pick up my phone and I see the caller. I'm like, what? It's my friend and he's calling me. I haven't talked to him in years. I pick up the phone and he says, hey, Daniel, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Um, Hey, um, I want to, well, I'm calling you because I know that you have a relationship with Jesus, and and I want to have a relationship with Jesus too. (laughs) Okay. Doesn't always easily come like that. He came over to my house that night, and I got to lead him right there in my living room to, to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And if you saw all those hands, go throw those hands up again. If you want to have fellowship with us, because our fellowship is with Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, and so the whole... Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is in us and among us. If you want to know Jesus, you can put your hand down if you already know him. But if you want to know him today because you have not yet surrendered your life to him and you want to say, I want a relationship with Jesus, would you raise your hand up and you will have fellowship with us. I see you over there. One, right over there. Amen. Amen. I love it. See you over there. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Amen. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited. Ginger, (laughs) when you walked in and you told me you haven't been to church since you were young, this is your first time back, Jesus knows you and he loves you and he brought you here today. And Alana, that's your mother right there. And by your eyewitness testimony of faith, because you know Jesus and Nick knows Jesus and your family knows and serves Jesus, that has had an influence. And because you have had fellowship with Jesus, your mother is now saying, I want to have fellowship with Jesus. It's powerful. It's beautiful. Who's that gal sitting next to you? Your sister? Sister Sister-in-law. Beautiful. Welcome to the family of God. Let's pray over these new family members in Christ. And just repeat this prayer after me. And the prayer doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. He comes into your life and he will give you his Holy Spirit to change you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. 
You know that. But I believe that you are a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Thank you for the eyewitness testimony of John who proclaimed this gospel message to us. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Make me yours. I want to know you and I want to be known by you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me yours. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my friend. Amen. Amen. We love you. Amen. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to do this every week for 13 more weeks. Okay? Okay. So, listen. (laughs) This is the power of God moving. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to cover this land with the good news of Jesus. And as we learned last week, the whole world isn't going to come to church, but the whole church can go to the whole world. Let's go and make disciples church. Let's lead them to know Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who died on a cross for our sins and who rose from the dead. It's as simple as that. You give your testimony of faith and proclaim the simple message of the gospel and watch as God brings in the harvest. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and worship Jesus today. I want to give a special shout out to our engine room today, who's in a back room right now, who all during this time has been praying through the entire service. Every word that I have spoken, they have prayed for because there's power in prayer. And, And I believe because of the power of prayer and a hunger and a thirst beginning to arise in the people of God, we're gonna see people come to know Jesus in great ways, but it has to begin with the church getting their eyes on Jesus, us knowing him and being known by him, and that's how revival comes, amen? Amen, let's worship together. We'll have our prayer team up here in the front. Uh, The steps are here open. If you want to kneel before your Lord in prayer, uh, have the freedom to worship in spirit and in truth today, amen.